We are surrounded by an unseen force. It covers us in our day-to-day -day lives, whether we see it or not. Either way, this pre-scripted cosmic plan continues in the background of the universe. In a word, it's grace. But to understand this better, we must travel backwards in time, before technology, before mankind, before the existence of the world, before time or space, before the creation of the universe itself. Our understanding is that sin entered the world through man, and God has been trying ever since to implement his backup plan. But what if what we thought was a contingency was actually God's original intention all along? What if his plan of grace was going to be his ultimate expression of love? What if this cosmic countermeasure was set in motion long before sin ever entered the world? In the beginning is where we find the origins of grace. A grace that was the plan before creation, before mankind, and before the garden. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good, uh, good to be here with you. You know, that, that's like a, a good pump-up video with the bass. It kind of like feels like my heart right now. Um, <laughs> it's all so good. Uh, well, welcome. Thanks for joining us this morning for this Family Worship Sunday. Uh, I am glad that you are here to participate in worship with us. I, I think I say this, maybe it's like every other time or every third time, but I have the privilege of sitting up front and hearing you guys proclaim those truths, like singing those hymns, over me, and that's a blessing. And so your presence here this morning has already uh, blessed those around you uh, and, and me personally. So thank you for that. Thanks for, for being a part of, of worship, worshiping our Father today. Uh, my name is Matt Sawada, one of the, the pastors here on staff at LAFC, and truly it is an honor to open God's word with you this morning. But we're gonna spend about the first half of our time together looking in the book of Genesis. And so if you need, if you need a Bible this morning, I got some friends, they're coming down the aisles, they're going up the aisles, uh, they've got Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to pass one of those out to you. We're, gonna, we're not gonna start there, but we will be in uh, Genesis 3. So turn to Genesis 3, and we'll catch up to you in just a second. Kids, thank you for being here this morning. It truly is a, we always worship as a family, but this truly is a family worship Sunday. I am glad that you are here with us. Uh, kiddos, your parents have been studying the book of Genesis all fall, right? We, we started in September. We've been in Genesis the last couple months. And so what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna show you, parents as well, we're gonna show, we're gonna look at how grace was evident then, and that same grace is still evident today, right? So we're gonna dive back into Genesis to use that as a platform to jump in to where we are today. Adults, we'll be back in Abraham next week. We'll be looking at about Genesis 18. So you can read ahead, get ready for next Sunday morning. I feel like I do need to apologize for one thing before I really kick this off. Um, I'm sorry for anyone named Grace. 
this sermon is going to feel really targeted. All right, you're going to pay attention because first service, I said the name, the word grace. It could be your name. I said the word grace quite a few times. So kids, please count. Start a little tally mark and count the number of times I say grace. All right, and then I want you to come up to me afterwards and tell me, how did I do? I want to see if I said it more in first service than second, okay? So uh, please, kids, I need your help. Pay attention anytime I say the word grace. All right, that's six. All right, start with six, six times. Um, anytime I say grace, that's seven. Keep track, and then come, come tell me afterwards. Also, kids, we have a sermon bingo sheet. All right, if you received a big church bag on your way in, uh, do bingo. All right, don't call bingo if you just get a line. If you fill the whole sheet and you pay attention and tag all the boxes, I want you to scream, bingo! Okay, I actually did it last service. Someone, someone called it on me, right in the benediction. He did it. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I almost like, what happened? What's this is perfect. It was my son, by the way. <laughs> even, even better. <laughs> so, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna drop this thread of grace this morning. We're gonna start in Genesis and kind of track into some Pauline epistles and end with Peter. Uh, but before we jump into that and begin to, to talk about grace in Scripture, I think we need to do a little definition work. We've gotta start by saying, Okay, it's wonderful if you're gonna say this word a gazillion times, what does it actually mean? What does grace mean? If that's the question you're asking, you're asking the right question. So well done. If you looked it up in a dictionary, you you would get a certain definition. Now you often, kids, your parents might ask you tonight, you're sitting down for a meal, they might say, "Uh, hey, Johnny, would you please say grace? And that, in that sense, grace is a prayer, right? It's a way for us to say thanks. Would you say grace for us? And maybe uh, you have a friend named Grace. As I mentioned, you might be here in this room. If so, I'm sorry. I was at a wedding this weekend. We celebrated this Grace. She married a young man named Blake. So, so Grace this weekend meant a person. He just beautifully sang a song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that has saved a wretch like me. How I once was lost, but now I found it. I was, was blind, but now I see. See, grace is a theme in a lot of our worship songs. It's probably a, a, a word that you've heard used quite a bit in, in Sunday school or maybe in, in home, a kind of family devotion time. So what is grace? Well, if you looked it up in a dictionary, you'd get this. Grace is defined as an undeserved gift. Or grace is unmerited favor. It's an undeserved gift. Or unmerited favor. You know, uh, grace often gets confused with its, its biblical Siamese twin. It's called mercy. See, grace and mercy uh, often go hand in hand. You're reading in scripture and you'll come across these texts that'll say grace and mercy, grace and mercy. You also hear grace and peace a lot, right, in Pauline letters, but grace and mercy. So if grace is an undeserved gift, what's, what's mercy and how do those two, how do they jive, how do they go together? Well, mercy, all right, uh, it, it's kind of like this. Mercy is 
not getting what we deserve. All right, for instance, if you're taking a spelling test and get caught cheating. All right, this happened to Matt when I was in elementary school. I didn't want to study, so I cheated, right? Not a good choice. Don't do what I do or do what I say in that one moment. I got caught. The teacher had a choice in that moment. The teacher had every single right to put a big, fat zero on that test. So what I deserved. But instead, the teacher said, Matt, you, you know better. You're gonna take the same test tomorrow. You better study, or else I'm calling home. Right, this teacher gave me, gave me an out. This teacher gave me what I didn't deserve. He gave me another chance. That's mercy. Grace is beautifully defined by Philip Yancey in his classic book on grace, What's So Amazing About Grace. It's a new edition, it's just been published. And he said, you can't really, it's not really like a, a word you can define. I've gotta talk about the concept, this essence. And he says, grace, grace means that there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And at the same time, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to change the love that God has for you. That love is grace. It's undeserved. And it is a gift. And so this grace is, is evident day in and day out. This morning, I'd like you to take a second. Can you think of a grace moment in your life? A moment where grace was either extended to you or maybe it was a moment where you extended grace to someone else. You know, as you, as you think on this, realize there are some real dramatic wow grace moments, right? But there are also some, some simple ones. In most of my grace moments, uh, God has used another human being to extend or communicate his grace to me through them. One of my dramatic wow ones, you, you do need to begin with salvation. It was 1993 at a youth retreat. It was in November, and it was in that moment where I began to realize that God, through Jesus, didn't just die in this universal sense for all people. God so loved the world, right? No, it was God so loved Matt. God so loved Matt that he sent his one and only son to die on my behalf so that I could be in a relationship with him. It was in that moment that I, I realized I received this gift and began a relationship with my heavenly father. That's a dramatic wow moment. And many of us might have one of those. Another one. Uh, fast forward a couple years. I was married. My wife Robin and I, we had both lost jobs. It was a great time in our lives. Just kidding. It's rough. It was really rough. And I was serving at the time. I was a, a volunteer in junior high ministry. I had a group of eighth grade boys. And we'd lost a job. I was at a basketball game, eighth grade boys basketball game, really exciting uh, sporting events, right? And I had, I had a dad come up. 
with an envelope. He stuck it in my pocket. He said, Matt, that's for you. I want you to go home and open this with Robin when you get a chance. Yes, sir. I didn't think anything of it. It was great, thanks. This is, this is what it is. I get home. Robin and I open this envelope. It's not this one. It looked like it. I opened this envelope, and there was a check that covered our mortgage. More than covered our mortgage. See, in that moment, that gentleman was an extension of God's grace to me here on this earth. That was an undeserved gift. That wasn't a, well, thanks, buddy, but I just did. You're finally paying me for all the time I spent with your eighth grader? Thank you. No, it's not that. This grace moment was, was absolutely significant and changed the way we, my wife and I, have thought about generosity. It's changed the way we've done hospitality and the way we pursue relationship. See, I think grace changes everything. And in that moment, he, that gentleman, was an extension of God's grace here on this earth to my wife and I, the form of an envelope. And I would say, uh, my wife has probably been the, the greatest gift to me in this sense. She's seen me on my best days and my worst days, and they were both. And in those moments of, of the good days and the bad days, she has loved me and has been present through that. I wish I had a tally mark. You guys are counting the, the word grace. If I had a tally mark for every sock she's picked up, it'd be impressive. <laughs> My wife has been a significant extension. I think I've learned more about his grace through her than anywhere else. Those of you who are married, would, would you, there's a little challenge here, consider being the greatest extension of God's grace to your spouse today. That's what marriage is. So you think about all the, the, the relationships, and those are some of the, the larger ones, but with coworkers or with friends who are willing to listen. You probably have experienced an extended grace here within this body. You know, you, you're able to drop a kid off in the nursery and say, thank you, <laughs> for your grace, this is an undeserved gift of an hour without a screaming child, right? That is, that is grace. Thank you, nursery workers, for the grace extensions that you are to this body. In each of these grace moments, I would imagine that there's also been a need you see, to be able to receive grace, you notice that there was probably uh, an acknowledged need. You have to be needy for that grace, the need to be met, the grace to be extended. Question for you, secondly, is are you needy enough to be aware of the grace when it's extended? Well, see, this grace has been present since the beginning of time. Our bumper video showed you that. And it bumped, right? In Genesis, chapter one, his grace has been evident to us since word number one. 
of this Bible. In creation, God's creative act, right? He formed all the world and every living thing. And at the end of each day, after light and water and earth and the sun and the stars, after creating each of these things, at the end of the day, he said what? It was, okay, come on, help me out, kids. At the end of each day, God said it was what? Yes, thank you. God said it was good. And he didn't have to create all of this good. That's part of his character, but that's also an extension of his grace. And then on day six, right, he creates all these living things, humans being one of them. And at the end of day six, God said it was very, what? It was very good. You see, God creating humans in his image was an undeserved gift. He could have chosen an elephant, to be in his image, but yet he chose male and female. This is grace. We then see grace extended in the Garden of Eden. The way God provides for Adam and Eve, and he walks and talks and spends time with them. These, this couple lived in a state of grace, and it was very good. The relationship between God and humanity is another, it's just evidence of his grace towards us as humans. God's grace was even evident in Genesis 3. If you guys will turn there, uh, that would be wonderful. In Genesis 3, even in the midst of one of humanity's worst days, God in his goodness extends grace. And so what you see is the serpent tempts Adam and Eve. We don't know if it's the first temptation, but we do know that it's the first time they fell, the first time they were disobedient. And in that moment, there were consequences to that disobedience. And you see, there was now separation from God. There was an introduction of blood, sweat, and tears, pain, and toil. And the, all of this stuff has fallen apart. The, the perfect state of grace they lived in is now shattered. And how does God respond? With mercy and grace. You see, in the midst of it, in chapter three, verse 15, he responds with mercy. He says, uh, he's talking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Humanity didn't deserve a redeemer. God in his mercy offers Jesus a promised victory coming in the future. And then he gives us his grace in verse 21. Verse, yeah, that's 21. I can't see right now. Oh. Uh, after God has spoken with Adam and Eve and the serpent, what we see here is the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothes them. Completely undeserved. He has, there's a sacrifice of an animal, and he takes that skin and clothes them so they're no longer naked and ashamed. Friends, that's grace. They didn't deserve that. Fast forward, Adam and Eve have kids. They have Cain and Abel. You see this in, at the end of verse two. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. They both bring offerings in verse three. And it was in verse four that you see that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. 
that favor is grace. The Lord looked at Abel and extends grace. Fast forward a little bit more. You get a genealogy in chapter five and you see Enoch. He's now still walking with God. He walked faithfully with God and then he was no more. That's grace. In chapter six, you see humanity is tanking. And it is, things are bad, really bad. Chapter six, verse five. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. It was so bad, friends, that in verse six, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Whoa, not good. But then you see in verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So even in the midst of chaos and sin and evil, God in his grace allows Noah to find favor with his father. Undeserved. One of my seminary professors said this, Tom Constable, He said, all of God's people can identify with Noah. They all, we all, have been recipients of God's grace. It is only by God's grace that we can escape his judgment on the wicked. And so what you then see, six, seven, and eight, you see the flood happen. Everything's wiped out except for Noah, his family, and two of each animal. At the end of that flood, you see God's grace once again, and it comes in a promise, a covenant, to never flood the earth again, symbolized then with a rainbow. It's a picture of his grace. Fast forward a little bit more, you get to Abraham. And Abraham receives this same grace. He receives these promises. Land, seed, and blessing. Over the course of the next 10 to 15 chapters. And what you see in chapter 15 of Genesis, 15 verse six, Abram, right, at this point his name hadn't changed yet, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Friends, that's grace. This is grace. Genesis 15 This verse is quoted in Romans chapter four, verse three. If you wanna turn there, please feel free to join me. We'll be in Romans four for a minute. In Romans four, you see that same verse. Uh, It says, what does scripture say? Verse three, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. One of the key verses in this text of Romans four is this in verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that that may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. (laughs) Ephesians 2, Ken quoted it for us just a second ago. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. See, this grace is an undeserved gift. And what we see, even in Genesis, and especially today, that our God is a God of grace. And that grace 
not only sustains us, not only, I'm sorry, that grace not only saves us, but that grace is what sustains us. That we never outgrow our need for grace. And if that's true for me, that Matt never outgrows his need for for the grace that comes through Jesus, that's also true for anyone I'm interacting with. My spouse, my son, my daughter, my mother-in-law will never outgrow her need for grace. (laughs) I need to remind myself of those things sometimes. And so what what you begin to see here is that this grace not only changes our lives vertically, not only does it change us eternally, but this grace should change the way we interact with one another horizontally. That this grace becomes a, a mechanism to operate by, a, a mode of operations. It gives hope, and in doing so, changes every single thing. Paul tackles this time and time again in his epistles. And you see it in 2 Corinthians 9 and 12. You see it in 1 Corinthians 15. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, that God is able to bless you abundantly. Another version says, he's able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. His grace, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, his grace, my grace, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Friends, this grace is power. This grace is, uh, it's a, a river that we get to jump into and it will carry us through every single day, every single interaction. 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, this is Paul, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. John Piper, in speaking about these three verses, states that grace is not only a disposition, a quality, or an inclination of the nature of God. Right? This is, his grace isn't just part of his character. It is part of his character, but it's not only that. It is also an influence, a force, a power, or an acting of God that works in us to change our capacities for work, suffering, and obedience. So grace saves, but grace also sustains. Turn with me to Hebrews 4. Let's jump there next. Sorry, I'm all over the place. Hebrews chapter 4. It's towards the end of your Bibles. Uh, In my Bible, it is, we're going to be on page 1522, if that's helpful to you. Probably not. Different Bibles. Uh, We're looking at Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. It says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Let me read that again. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let me unpack that. We can approach a throne of grace, which means we can come before our heavenly father and he's going to treat us in a way that we don't deserve. He's gonna extend mercy, um, but he's also gonna treat us better than they deserve. That's the type of throne we're coming to. But, but then this verse says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's that word again, need. This is his grace helps us in our time of need. Friends, are we needy enough to receive the grace to then be extenders of it? Do you see, God's grace is both part of his character with the desire to treat us better than we deserve and his grace is an extension of that character to practically help us in those moments. God's grace changes everything. It allows us to enter into a relationship with him. It also encourages us to engage those around us with grace. So why is this such a big deal? Matt, tell me why you just spent the last 24 minutes unpacking that. If you're asking that question, it's a good one. It's a really good one. I ask myself that as I pray. Why, why am I doing this? I think we as Christians, Matt included, we have a truncated view of grace. I think we have an issue with this concept. Because part of our human DNA is pride. And this type of grace requires humility to receive it. And the reason why this is a problem is because when we have a partial perspective that limits the power of grace, it creates a version of very easy, comfortable Christianity. And I only interact with the people that are like me or the people that I like. Because I'm right. And friends, that's, that's not the gospel. That, that's, not, that's not what this is talking about. For grace to be extended and realized, like I mentioned, there has to be a need for it. And when we allow pride to consume us, there frankly isn't space for grace. It becomes more about being right than righteous. It becomes more about uh, looking better than serving someone else. And what it does is it reinforces this Christian, lack of a better word, tribalism, right? Because now we've got this whole group of people who agree with each other. It's a group think tank. And yet we're not actually engaging someone who doesn't. And I don't think in these moments we're actually pointing people to the person who can actually meet real needs. So the problem that this creates is prideful hearts and bitter, judgmental, and harsh responses. And that is not how the church needs to be perceived. That is not how Christ needs to be perceived. This isn't modeling Jesus and his grace to those around us and it certainly isn't attractive. 
James reminds us of this in, in James 4, verses four through six. He's basically saying, hey, don't be friends with the world. I know that's so tempting, but in verse six he says, he gives us more grace. And that's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor. That same favor that he showed to Noah, that he showed to Abel, he gives that same favor to the humble. So grace is not about being weak or soft. It's not about being a pushover. Grace is actually about embodying the strength that we have received through Jesus and extending that person to those around us. It's imaging the character of our Father who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, Psalm 103, 8. So that, James 1, 19, we can take that character, that's the author, James, he writes this, he encourages us to take note of this, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's what grace looks like. So the question that I have for you today is, do you have the eyes to see grace at work around you today? Are you looking for it? Are you looking for moments to extend it? Take this, on a bad day, right? There's an author, pastor, his name's Chuck Smith. He wrote a book called Grace Changes Everything. And he says this. He said, maybe you've been a wreck or a wretch. You've been irritable and miserable and you feel as if God can't possibly love you. You feel utterly disgusted with the failure of your flesh and you know that all you deserve is the backhand of God's, the backside of God's hand in judgment. You guys ever been there? I have. You just kind of feel you've bottomed out. Then suddenly out of the blue, God gives you some glorious blessing. Might not be money. It could be a reaction, it could be a hug, it could be a smile, it could be a, a word of truth, it could be a friend stepping in. Out of the blue, you're at the bottom of your life, God gives you a glorious blessing, and it's at that moment there rises from your heart spontaneous praise to God in worship. This, friends, is the truest form of praise, the kind of worship that erupts spontaneously in response to God's grace. This is the kind of praise that says, God is so very good to me and I don't deserve a bit of it. Have you been there? Experienced that? Where, when was the last time you took a grace moment and turned it vertically? And rather than saying, thanks, yeah, I deserved this, you say, wow, God, you're amazing. I'm gonna praise you in this moment because I didn't deserve this. I think the answer to that question truly is an indicator of who is actually on the throne of your heart. Because if you deserved that unexpected gift, that undeserved gift, if you believe you did, you're probably worshiping yourself. See, grace leads us to credit the one who works around us and despite us. And in those moments, when you include someone else in that praise, and you're able to say, hey, look what God's done in my life, and he's amazing, that's 
testifying, that's a testimony, and that is a very strong apologetic. So look for ways to turn these God's moments vertically and then include people in them. And that's a proper response to this grace. A proper response is worship. Paul Tripp beautifully expresses within what a proper perspective towards grace would be. I'm gonna read this twice. It said, God makes his grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. I say that again. That God makes his grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. So a proper response to grace is worship. A proper perspective is extension. Who can I include and who can I extend it to? Who can I include and who can I extend it? This type of grace is humble, right? There's a cost to that. This type of grace is allowing others around you not only to fail, but it's encouraging them to grow. This type of grace, again, saves us and sustains us. We never outgrow our need for grace, and neither do others. Because, friends, it ultimately takes grace to extend grace. And so, so far, we've looked at a definition of grace. We've acknowledged there are many grace moments that happen every single day. We've looked at moments of grace in Genesis. We've seen what Paul has said about grace and why it's important for us to to know and to grow in this grace. We're gonna close this morning by quickly seeing that Peter also knew what was up. Peter, all right, he walked and talked with Jesus. He's one of the, the apostles, the disciples, and he understood that grace changes everything. He wrote two books, really creative names, right, First Peter and Second Peter. And the, the benedictions in particular communicate his emphasis on grace. First Peter 5.12 says this, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Stand firm in this true grace of God. But he didn't just stop there. He's not just saying stand firm in this grace. He then his, his, he benedicts, right? he closes his next book, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And he says, don't just stand firm in it, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen? So what would it look like for you to not only stand firm in his grace, to stand firm resting on the grace he's given to you in salvation, but then to grow in it, to grow in his grace, allowing the reality of this grace to change everything about you. To not just stand firm, but to grow in grace. I would imagine it would look like taking grace moments and turning them to worship including those around you in those moments and then being a very quick grace extender when the opportunity arises. Friends, please pray pray through this because it's essential, more important than ever to be a grace extender.
modeling grace to those God has placed in your oikos. We've seen it in Genesis. We've seen it today. Be on the lookout for those grace moments today. Please pray with me. Stand and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are and how you've loved. We thank you for your character, for the fact that you're compassionate and gracious. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Lord, we want to be good image bearers of that. So today, help us to acknowledge those moments in which your grace is so evident and help us to extend that grace to those around us. Father, we love you. We're grateful for Jesus. This Father truly is an amazing grace. As we respond and worship to that amazing grace, I'd just like us to acknowledge that it is the last day of the year we have an opportunity to look back on 2023 and celebrate and praise in response to every single act of grace that has been poured out to us this year. Let's sing, let's praise in response to that. Who breaks? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty? And so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder, who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings.
redeemed sing worthy is the lamb worthy is our king and worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king God who has extended to us an amazing grace. And so let's let 2024 be a year of grace. Let's let 24, 2024, I'm not used to saying that yet. 2024, let's that, let this be a year that is defined by the sustaining, saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When those grace moments happen, let's be quick to worship, giving praise and credit to the one who deserves it. And when those grace moments happen, let's be even quicker to extend this God-given grace to those around us. You'll have those moments today. Take those opportunities to extend grace quickly. Friends, I'm gonna close this Uh, this service, this year with a classic benediction from Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
Church, I love you. You are loved. I hope you have a happy new year. And actually, before I send you out of here, if you do need some prayer or connection, we would love to do so, be it extenders of that grace here today. We've got an encounter room in the back. Guys, have a great day. We will see you next year.